0: Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We've been studying together the, the, the teachings of Jesus, the parables. Uh, as we come to this week's parable, I want to remind you that these all work together. All the things that he's teaching... They're really about how you are to understand the movement of God in your life, how you have to understand the work of the Spirit in your life. Last week we looked at um, the default setting that Jesus is asking of every follower. Here's a default setting of repentance, of recognizing that, that what's going on in your life, the events of your life, the circumstances of your life are all there not to embarrass you, Not to humiliate you, but to reveal to you where you have believed lies. To reveal in you the places where you have self-interest, self-protection, selfishness, egotism. All of these things that are actually roads of destruction. And Jesus says to all of us, He says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And so repentance becomes this kind of default setting. And for many of us, we've had such a demandingness of God. We've had such an entitlement even towards God in our prayers of how He should run His universe, and especially our, our universe, that there should be this kind of security and safety and this kind of understandableness of everything that happens to us. And yet Jesus says, unless there is this spirit in you of repentance and your willing to repent and part of it is that we have not really understand understood jesus perspective on grace and one way to understand this is that everything outside of you being in hell is grace can i say that again i have the mic so i have i have to everything outside of you being in hell is grace And what happens to us is we begin to think that we're entitled, we're able to demand, we're able in some way to force God to resource our idolatry. And when He doesn't make our idols successful, many times we do not repent, we rather harden our hearts. And so today as we look at this parable that Jesus teaches, it's really about the essence of you not hardening your heart and of understanding what it is to really follow Jesus, what it is to really be a Christian. In this parable, he's explaining the essence of Christianity. And most often, many, many of us who've come from religious traditions and backgrounds, we've not really been taught the essence of Christianity Um, But Jesus here is is teaching us the very very nature of what it is to be a Christian and what is happening in your life as you follow Christ. So let's read this passage. We could have gone to Luke chapter 13. There's a parallel there, but I want to use Matthew instead because I I, I want you to look at how Matthew describes the kingdom today. Let's read. I like it when the church reads God's word together. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, the preaching of Jesus or the essence of Jesus' message to us is always centering around this announcement of the kingdom of God. And every parable that he uses is to explain the very nature and the meaning of this kingdom both in terms of your your personal life, but also in the way that you look at everything that's happening in history and everything that's happening in our world, and so Matthew takes this concept of the kingdom of God, and, and instead of calling it the kingdom of God, Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. And if you you know if you're sort of a Bible student, you might ask the question, well, why does Matthew call it the kingdom of heaven while Luke calls it the kingdom of God? Think about the the ethnicity of both these writers. First is, Luke is a Gentile, and as a Gentile, he has absolutely no qualms about writing the Word God or having people read the Word God. But if you know Matthew's origin, Matthew is Jewish. He is a, a scrupulous Jewish follower. And if you have any friends who are Jewish or you have any Messianic jews that are a, a part of your life you realize they will not even write the word god they will put g slash and then d and they they are so uh meticulous about not using the lord's name in vain that they won't even write the word god and so matthew was a very devout man he did he did not want to write the word god and he did not want you to read the word god and so He chose instead the word heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Now, why did He, and you should ask this question, why did He choose heaven over any other thing? Well, because the kingdom that Jesus is describing, this is a a domain. It's a place where a Lord rules. It's a domain. It has power. It's a realm over which a sovereign rules. Not only that, but the domain and the realm is reflective of the character of its ruler. Everything that is true of the domain, everything that's true of the realm, flows from the very moral character and the the personality and the personhood of the one who rules. And so what Matthew is saying to us here is that this kingdom that Jesus is announcing is the very characteristic and the expressions and the attributes of everything that is true of God. And that what has happened with Jesus is He has brought to us a realm. He has brought to us a domain. He has brought to us that which is true of His realm into our realm. So that everything that is true of heaven has now been inaugurated and initiated into this realm. Jesus even said it this way, My kingdom is not of this world. And so when Jesus is announcing the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, He is saying that something outside of our realm, something outside of our domain, has entered in our domain. And that what is true of that realm, is now evident and being expressed in our realm. Now, let me, let me talk to you about how important that is. You ever tried to fix anything? You ever tried to fix anybody? You ever had a really bad situation and with all your wisdom and with all your experience and all your insight, you still couldn't get it back together again? You've done everything you can and maybe you're trying to fix yourself and you're doing everything you can with your own willpower and you're reading all the right books and you're trying all kinds of things and you're just like, it just seems like the chaos just gets worse and worse. I remember one time I had a VW van, van, one of those old VW buses and that thing would break down in every town I traveled to. I was, uh, I was raising money to go to the mission field. I would drive into town and say, where's the church and where's the VW Repair Center? Because everywhere it went. So finally, this one church says, we're going to rebuild the engine for you. And they paid for the engine to get rebuilt. I went to pick it up, and the, the mechanic gave me a box of parts that he had no idea what to do with. He said, it seems to be running, but we don't know what these are. And sometimes life feels like that to us, that we're trying everything we can to bring order out of our chaos. We're trying to make ourselves safe. We're trying to make ourselves secure. We're trying to make ourselves healthy. And the more we do it in many ways, the worse it gets. But here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it is available to you something that didn't originate with you. It's not your willpower. It's not your intellect. It's not your experience. It is a realm where Jesus reigns. It is a realm where no more tears. Though your tears are stored there and will be redeemed there, it is a realm where everything you have started here will be completed there. You understand? It is a corresponding realm to the life you're living now. Paul says it this way, when the perfect comes... You understand what he's saying there? He's saying when completion comes to the life that you've been living, when all the things you thought you've lost are actually found, that's when heaven has come into your life. Is the realization that it's not a place that's so different and so detached from you but is a place that all of what's going on right now in your life is woven together in perfection for you. And Jesus says, that reality, that realm has now been inaugurated. And instead of resisting it, why don't you align yourself to it? Are you you hearing me? It does not originate with us, therefore, it is not dependent on us. And I want us to look at it in two ways. It is a realm, it is a kingdom, and it affects not only history, but it it affects the whole movement of the whole world. But also, the second part is it's a power for you, it's personal. It is global. And I want to look at for a minute at the global nature of it, but it is also personal. And without it being personal, it's not very real to you. So we look at it this way. Jesus uses the mustard seed. And He uses it to describe the nature of this kingdom, this realm, this heavenly realm. Now, one of my professors, because I, I like to think theologically, one of my professors used to say, this is where people... Begin to get all, you know, all excited that they've caught Jesus in something untrue. Because you see, if you know anything about plants or seeds, you'll realize the mustard seed is not the smallest seed that has ever existed. And Jesus called it the smallest of seeds. And so people go, look, see, you see, Jesus makes a mistake here. The Bible errs. And so it can't be trusted. My professor used to say these people may know a lot about seeds but they know nothing about teaching because when a teacher teaches hyperbole or exaggeration is a way of making a point he's not trying to explain science he's trying to get you to understand something in an accommodating way that is indescribable in terms of our language. you understand? You and I can have all the words that there are and we still are not describing heaven. We can have all the words that, that there are in all languages and still not encompass the infinite God that we're trying to describe. So Jesus is using exaggeration. He's using hyperbole here so he, you'll get his, his point. Think about... When sports teams in New York win, the few times the Mets have won, and and uh, and how the Yankees seem to win every year, kind of a thing, you know. And so, you know, when they when they when they win, the city throws a huge parade for them. If you listen to the to the announcers, what do they say? All of New York has turned out to welcome the Mets or the Yankees or the Giants, never the Jets. But uh, uh, <laughs> not since 19, nineteen what sixty. <laughs> you understand? They don't say, "Oh, four hundred and thirty-two thousand and one." You know, they don't say. They say all oh, the city has turned out because when you want to make a point. When you want to when you want to really get the idea across, man, people are behind this. You don't give the specific number, you say everybody's here. And so Jesus is doing that in this place. He's saying to you, I want you to understand the significance of this kingdom. And he does so with this small thing, a seed. I don't know if you realize it, but what he's trying to say is that this kingdom is starting no smaller than a seed. And I have initiated something and it's no smaller than a seed. As a matter of fact, it takes 700 mustard seeds just to make one gram. That's how small it is. And so what he's saying is this kingdom, this power, this reign and realm that I'm inaugurating is tiny. It's the smallest spiritual movement of Jesus' day. I, I've spent some time, a little bit of time, in the Middle East, and uh, I, I'm fascinated by the the history that has happened there, because mostly what we see is this sort of this one religion of Islam that dominates the Arabian Peninsula. But when you when you go back a little bit further, particularly in the days of Jesus, all of the Arabian Peninsula. They were polytheists. They were worshipping idols. They were worshipping many, many gods. They had gods of everything. And all around the, the, the whole of the Arabian Peninsula and all the ethnicities and all the tribes, they all had their various gods. Now something really interesting took place. As the gospel began to spread to the, to the Arab people, to the different tribes, the gospel took hold in a miraculous, powerful way. And if you go, you'll see in the 400s and 500s, a revival swept through the Arabian Peninsula. People were coming to Christ. Whole villages, kings, leaders were all giving their lives to Christ. There are these Greek Byzantine churches all over the area that date back to the 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries. Well, Satan realized that the tactic of, of enslaving people with polytheism wasn't working. So he invented and revealed a religion of monotheism called Islam so that you could come to God on your own terms without having to come through a Jew. He realized they no longer were turning to polytheists. They were now monotheists, so he invented and revealed to them a monotheistic religion so they did not have to humble themselves and come to God in right relationship through faith in Jesus Christ. And what if you go there, you'll see something really fascinating. The churches are still there. You'll go into a mosque, and it's still in the shape of a cross because it was originally a church. And they put the dome and they put the minaret over that church because in a way what what you're seeing is Satan began to get very afraid of the power of this kingdom of Jesus and he adapted his own theology so that he could trap and enslave people to a counterfeit truth are you hearing me? see our enemy is crafty but he knows what Jesus is talking about. He knows the power of the seed. And he fears the power of the seed. And Jesus says, what I'm doing may appear insignificant. But what Jesus is really saying here is you wait you wait. The analogy of the seed, then there's growth, there's a sprig until it reaches the size of a tree, Jesus says. And then when it reaches that size, it's big enough for the birds to rest and make their nest in it. Here's the principle that Jesus is talking about in terms of planting uh, this seed. He says, If you plant the seed of the kingdom of God and you water it, whether it's in your life or in your community, or it's in your work, or whatever you're doing, but if you plant the seed of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven, then that which is true of that realm becomes true in your realm. And it starts off small, but if you water it with the Word, and you water it with faith, and you water it with your love, then you can watch and see how God will work in making that thing grow. Now, this may not matter that much, as much to you as it does to me, but I, when I read the news, I get distressed. When I see what's going on, this latest thing of like thousands of abuse cases, cover-ups in the church, all of these matters, it doesn't matter which church it is, it sort of tars all of us. And it is painful to see that people have not only been abused, but covered up, and then protected the predators instead of the people who have been hurt. It is distressing. When we when I look at how unstable it feels like our entire society is, how there's no voice that anybody's listening to, a moral, you know, like moral fiber or anything else. There's no everything seems compromised morally. This is when this parable is so important. Do you understand? Nothing will ever stop the power of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Not even the church. Not even pastors or priests or representatives or misrepresentatives of the gospel will ever stop. Jesus said it started insignificantly, but now it is a tree in which you can you can make a nest and you can rest. And, friends, people always say this to me. I oh I just long for the good old days. When was that? <laughs> when were those? Was that the sixteenth century and no indoor plumbing? When was that exactly? You know? I mean, I mean, when was that? I, I'm just trying to figure out when those good old... You know, I think some, for some reason people have more nostalgia than they have faith. And nostalgia distorts the past because your memories are more like impressionistic paintings than photographs. And so whatever impression you had of something, whether it's real or not, tends to dominate how you look on things. You know what the best days are today? You know what the worst days are? Today. But these are the days you have. And the the issue is, will you believe this that Jesus says? Plant the seed. Water it. And then watch it grow. Want to say it out loud with me? Just see if you can grasp this very simple but profound spiritual truth. Plant the seed. Water it. Watch God grow. Do you understand why I'm saying this? And this is so important that you get this. Because again, your role in this is to receive the seed. Your role in this is to receive the kingdom. Your role in this is to believe that He has inaugurated it in your lifetime for you, for your family, for your life. That this seed is more powerful than anything else in your life. And so you water it. You believe it. You read His Word. You receive it. It's not about how perfect you are. It's how powerful the seed is. And you begin, instead of trying to say, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to be a better person. Stop it. You're an idiot. It doesn't work. How long does it take you to realize it doesn't work. It has to be a realm that you're not from. A realm where the things you long for are already real. They're already true. There are no addictions in heaven. There's no destructive behavior. There's no abuse in heaven. There's joy. There is peace. There is purpose. There's completion and perfection. And it's come in a seed form to you now. And your job is to water it. To receive it, to water it, and to watch it grow. Well, if that's true then, and the second aspect is essential. Paul described it this way. He takes up this theme that Jesus has here in the seed and the leaven. And he takes it up and he says this, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. The kingdom of God does not consist in word, morality, philosophy, even theology, even doctrine. Though Those things are part of Christianity. They're a part of it, but they're not the essence of Christianity. In other words, what Paul is saying, you could have intellectual assent to the words, You could have agreement with the philosophy or the morality. You could even align yourself in ways with the doctrine and the theology and be as lost as can be. Because if you've not experienced the power, then you're not in the kingdom. It's the encounter with the power. It's the experience of the power. That's what the kingdom consists of. There are lots of people in churches Who know the talk, but have never experienced the power. A friend of mine was at a uh, conference, teaching at a conference. and a very conservative area, very traditional area. And he was teaching some pretty powerful stuff. And this guy came up to him afterwards and said, I do not agree with you. I don't believe you're teaching. And my friend said, well, what do you have a problem with? He said, well, you used the word golly. You said, gee whiz. And some other probably words, gosh. He said, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been taught that, but when I was a kid, I was taught that. That not only, you know, if you say the words but you say the words that that are away from the words, they call them minstos or something like that. When you say those words, then you're actually taking God's name in vain. So like if you hit yourself with a hammer and instead of saying, (laughs) (laughs) you say, gosh darn it. You know, then you're just saying the same thing, so you're going to hell. Because you've broken the law and you've, You've, uh, you, you know, you've taken the Lord's name in vain. So this guy comes up to him and my friend goes, that's what you had a problem with in my talk? And you, some of you in here, you might go, yeah, that's terrible, that's awful. No, it's not, friends. It's really not. That's Word. That's Word, not power. See, power says, why am I so angry all the time? Word says, let me just keep from saying the the nasty words, or the naughty words, or the dirty words. But you're just as defiled as ever. You just don't, you just don't say them. You say turnips, <laughs> or rats, Oh, rats, <laughs> you know? You see, you're still just as mad, but see, in word, you're okay. In word, you, you've, you know, you've put on a mask of religiosity, and you've put on the mask of morality, but really and truly, you don't get the power. See, the power is to get you free from your anger, not to restrain your anger. Or what about those of us who really, we wrestle in a in a, in a very real sense with the fact that we're living in a, a society where Christianity is basically do, discussed as this cultural or philosophical philosophical perspective or a position on on a view of God. So Christianity is basically a, uh, one of many views of God or one of many views of life. And, and so what happens is, because it's nothing more than a perspective or it's nothing more than just this one way of looking at God or life, people kind of try on Christianity. And they try it on sort of like my wife tries on a dress to see if it fits and if it looks good. And I hate it when she does it because she's going to ask me if it looks good or not. And she's going to ask a question like this, does this make me look fat? And there is no good answer to that question. Because if I say yes, she's going to you think I'm fat? You know? Or if I say no and she looks at it later and it doesn't fit right and she goes, "You lied to me." <laughs> you know, it just ah. And so a lot of us what we do is we try on church or we try on religion or we try on Christianity because we come with a particular set of problems and we try to see will it fit our problems will it make me feel better will it make me you know make sense of my life and so you know will it help me will it help me so it's at at, it's not that that's not a good reason to seek God but the fact of the matter is you don't know what fits you don't know till he shows you So what we began to realize is is that this is not a kingdom in word, but it's a kingdom in power. Look at this. Think about this with me. A lot of us, when bad things happen to us, immediately we say, who's to blame? Who's responsible for this? And we'll blame our our spouses or we'll blame our family or we'll blame God. And we'll say, I demand that you make this right. And we have this sense of entitlement. And we're like, how could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to our family? And again, we're not grasping in the midst of that, that anything outside of you being in hell is grace. But if you want to go back to hell, friends, then you go back to the law. Because when you go back to the Word, you go back to law. And you go back to the law and then you are as condemned as the next person. Because the law cannot save you. It can only condemn you. Let me give you an example of that. There were ten lepers that came to Jesus. Leprosy was declared under the law something unclean. If you were a leper, you were not allowed to be in community. You were not allowed to be with other people. You were both... Physically and spiritually excommunicated from the society. So the law could declare you unclean. They came to Jesus. Jesus healed them. He healed them and He said to them, now go present yourself to the law. Go present yourself to the priest." And when the priests saw that they were completely healed, they were declared clean. You see, the law can say if you're clean, the law can say if you're unclean, but it can do nothing about your leprosy you want to go back to the law, you're unclean. And you might be a little less unclean than the person next to you, but you're both unclean. And every time you live in blame, and you live in demand, and you live in entitlement, you're forgetting that everything outside of hell is grace. And you're putting yourself right back into hell. And Galatians says it is clear, as day, And it says, Jesus Himself will not and has not come to help you keep the law. He has come to keep the law for you. So that you can experience the power of Jesus in you. Oh, I like that part. I tried to keep the law. I don't know about any of the rest of you. I tried, to keep, I tried not to say gosh darn. I tried just to say turnips and rats. But you know what I found is the more I tried to keep the law, the more intense the pressure of the chaos around me became. And so maybe I was keeping my mouth from gosh darn, but my heart was full of anger, anxiety, bitterness, rage, self-protection, revenge, all manner of things underneath like a reservoir of pain. See, I cannot by willpower get that out. I can't by the law get clean from it. There's only one way, and that's if a, if a seed from another realm comes into me and begins to me, then can I begin to have power over those things that drive me crazy about myself. You see, there are those who accept it in word, but not in power. The essence of Christianity, Paul says, is the power. Now... Here, how do, you, how do you measure this? How do you realize have I encountered this power? Have I experienced this power? Well, can you look at your life and can you see inexplicable things that have changed? For example, are there some things there now that weren't there before? Are there some things that aren't there now that were there before? These are, these are things that only through the power of another realm, of another kingdom coming in and forcing those other things out either by revelation of how devastating they are to you or how how counterfeit they are, and you begin to say, I have a different affection now. Many of us, because we have embraced this power, we go, you know what? I don't know why, but I'm far more loving now. I'm less defensive. I'm able to actually finish tasks that I couldn't focus on before. The Word of God is rich to me because it makes sense to me now. All of those things are the inexplicable power that has now changed my life. You see, some will say to me, well, Christianity is just about forgiveness. No, friends. Forgiveness is a part of it. It's a lovely part of it. But it is just the starting point of a life of power. And others will say, yeah, you guys are too fanatical. Jesus just came as a good example. Let me tell you, you need to be saved from Jesus being your example. Because if he's your example, you're a terrible follower. I mean, if we're honest, man, I go through depression. I go through times where everything in the world is is enticing. I go through times when when my mouth is running much faster than my brain is. And I mean there's just all these things and if my example is I want to be like Jesus, I have failed miserably. But if there's a power in me that's at work on me to conform me to the one I want to be like, then it's not it's not Futile. And it's not in vain. It means everything that's going on in me right now is conforming me to the image of God's dear Son. I love the idea of the sculptor that says within that piece of marble or granite or wood or whatever it is, within there is, is the statue. And all you've got to do is chip away the parts that don't belong. I really believe that what's happening is that power of the kingdom is chipping away the parts of you that don't belong. You might think they were precious. He says they're in the way. Now, Alan and Ramona are getting this. What about the rest of you? Do I need to just stand over here and talk to them? Are you hearing me? You understand, what I'm saying to you is you could be the the worst, scuzziest sinner in this room. You you, You could be the worst of the worst of all of us in this room and it really doesn't matter. Because it's not in word. It's in power and it's not your power. It's a power that comes from another realm that works like a seed in you. And it starts small. So here's the nature of this power. It has two aspects. It's a power of life and it's a power of growth. And one thing you've got to understand, and this is this is critical for real Christianity or true Christianity, is it's not explosive power. It's persistent, relentless. Growing power. Look look at the new life as it's, as it's mentioned in the Scriptures. In, in James 1, verse 18, it says, He has brought you to God, planting a seed of the Word of truth in you. It isn't simply that you walked the aisle and gave your life to Christ. He brought you to Himself. And He planted in you the Word of truth working itself out from your innermost to your outermost. In, in in John 3 he says you're born of the spirit you're starting all over again you're born anew you're born again there is no brand of christianity called born again there is only born again christianity there is no other there's no other little path to Christ you and I are of such nature that we are so sinful He had to die for us, but we're so loved He chose to die for us. And as you receive His death as your own and His resurrection as as your own, you're marked with His Spirit and you become a new creation in Christ. And the old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. But you start over again. And then 2 Peter 1.4 says, He has planted in you an imperishable seed. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter 1, there's another part that says, You become partakers of His divine nature. See, that's not who you were before. You were a partaker of a lot of things, but not the divine nature. You have been become partakers. Something has changed. He has, this seed has elevated you to a level of life that is not possible on your own. I, I personally love how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.1. He says, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, but you have been made alive through Christ Jesus. This is who we are. Again, do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to make this happen. You just have to receive it. And then you got to believe it to water it. So, what does that mean? Well, it means the ability exists within you to break any habit or any bondage that you have. Because, why? Because you start to feel the love of God within you. Not just an idea of love, not just a concept of love, but an experience of love. Do you understand what He wants for you? He wants to lavish His love. I love that word, lavish. I want to live a lavish lifestyle. I like lavish, I hate poverty, I like abundance, lavish sounds lovely, and so what God wants is not just to give you drops of His love, He wants to lavish His love on you, wants to clothe you in His love. This is the experience. Do you know who's resisting that lavishing is you? Because you, you want to keep Him at arm's distance. You want to tell him, I want you when I need you, but get away from me when I don't. It's interesting how many people want million dollar answers to nickel prayers. See, what Jesus is saying here is that the power that you're longing for, that I'm longing for, that we need, the power where heaven invades earth, is a power that's hidden, it's secret, it's the secret power of the growth so he uses both the seed and the leaven which grows but it starts out in a very hidden way now think about this relentless or this persistent power if you take a seed and you throw it at concrete concrete wins but you plant a seed and the seed always wins my house was built in 1964 they they did a perfect beautiful concrete sidewalk from the driveway to the back of the house. Beautiful, I'm sure. But they didn't realize there was an acorn that was planted right next to it. Now, the tree wins and the sidewalk loses. you understand what I'm saying? You might try to break concrete with a seed and the seed will not break the concrete. But you plant the seed, you water the seed, you see the seed grow, and no concrete can even withstand that seed. Are you hearing me? Do you know where the major concrete is? In your heart. You may say, Well, I want to see him break through in America. I want to see him break through in New York or whatever. Let's start right here. Let's start right here because the concrete here is what's keeping you, not the rest of the world. And the seed that is planted, and here. Here's our problem as Americans. We have no patience. We want it yesterday. We don't want seed growth. We want microwave. We want dynamite. You know, we want power seeding or something that it's already growing before it even gets in the ground. And yet, here's the spiritual principle that the kingdom will always move along seed growth because seed growth is consistent, persistent, and relentless. And it will always win against the concrete. The second thing that he talks about here is this leaven. I, I love this image. You have to remember, when you and I think of leaven, we think of yeast. And when I think of yeast, I think of Thanksgiving. Lisa says, go buy packets of yeast for the rolls. And you go and you get this fleshman's or whatever it is, yeast, and you buy it and you bring it to her and she puts it in the the dough. That's not how they did because they didn't have yeast in those days. What they had to do was they allowed old bread to ferment. And then they would take a ball of the bread, that would be the leaven, it was fermented dough. And they would take that fermented bread, that fermented dough, and they would hide it in the middle of the dough and then they would allow it to permeate every molecule of the dough. And as it was permeating, as it was spreading, as it was growing, the dough was rising. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. (laughs) And I don't even eat bread. And you think about what is he saying here? He's saying... That the Spirit of God has come into the life of every believer and He's that, He's that fermented dough. He's the ancient of days. He's the, He's the he, same yesterday, today, and forever. And what He did in the past, He will do in the present and you can be assured every present grace is an assurance of future grace. And He is rising in your life. And he is rising in your heart and He's asking you, will you plant it? Will you water it? Will you watch it grow? How do you know you're a Christian? Are you growing? So where is it where to grow? Well, if you want to know the, the reality about your personality, it's how you think. It's how you act. It's how you feel. And so the growth, we're the where the leaven, where that... Where that dough is starting to work and where it's starting to rise is in you as a person. It's rising in your personhood, in your personality. His wisdom becomes more and more real to you and becomes more understandable to you. And you begin to long for more of it. You have a hunger for God because He's growing inside you, in in your spirit, in your soul, even in your body. And what happens is that the growth changes the way you look at things. Like anger and bitterness become less real to you because what Jesus has done for you is more real to you. You see, in a way, you can never forgive or let other people off the hook or you can never let go of your pain if the pain is still more real to you than Jesus. You might be religious, and you might be even disciplined in some way, but if you've not realized that what He has done for you is more real than what's been done to you, until you realize that what He said about you is more real to you than what others have said about you, that's where the growth begins to transform the way you think and transform the way you act. I think about, I mean, this week was Lisa and I's 38th anniversary. Thank you. And I think how God has used my marriage as this laboratory of agape love. Because I was a jerk, but I didn't know I was a jerk. And as I have tried to be a husband, I realized how selfish I am and how self-centered I am. And how narcissistic and how first I put myself even over my family or my wife. And, I, and, I, and it's in that atmosphere of love and it's in that atmosphere where though she knows how fallible I am, she has not run away from me. <laughs> she has every right to run, but she chose to stay. And as that happened, I began to realize that love is more real than pain. Serving someone else is more real than serving myself. A- am I getting through to you here? That's the leaven. That's, that's that fermented dough that's starting to work in a hard place, in a hard heart. Because selfishness is cement, friends. Self-centeredness, self-protectiveness, bitterness, unforgiveness. These are cement issues of the heart. And what you find is that when he becomes more real to you than what's been done to you, then you actually start to have mastery over your emotions, mastery over your actions. Part of it is because you're not blaming everybody else for what you do. You're realizing God has given you a will to choose and to will and do what God has asked you to do. And what happens as that happens is the concrete gets broken up by the seed. And the heart starts to get bigger. One of the biggest issues in the kingdom of God is hardness of heart in you and I, and you and me. And so, no matter how you came in today, God can plant this seed in you. And He can do what will transform you. It will not be immediate necessarily. It won't be overnight. But here's the thing. The concrete never stands a chance against the seed to hear that today would you say this with me what has been done to me is less real to me than what jesus has done for me what has been said to me is less real to me than what jesus has said about me that's how you grow friends when He is more real than your pain. Will you stand with me? Would you close your eyes with me? I I think for many of you, you know that you have experienced His power. You've encountered His love. You know there's nothing like it. But today is the day that you stop Being distracted by anything else. Satan knows the power of the seed. He knows the power of the leaven. He will, he himself will try to place things in your life that will become leaven. Lies, legalism, limitations, curses, sayings. Leaven can be something like you'll never amount to anything, you're stupid you're not you're not strong enough, you'll never be worth anything those are those are leaven that's old fermented dough, but it's rancid, it's poison or it can be religious. Jesus called the Pharisees lies in their religion he called it the leaven of the Pharisees, and he said, avoid it, avoid it at all costs. I'm just asking you today, you know. Don't waste your time on a Christianity in word. Give yourself to the kingdom in power. Experience the power. Water the power. Watch God grow it. Wherever you have hunger, hunger for God is the first work of God. Having hunger for God is a demonstration that there's a seed there. And that it's your responsibility now to... Nourish that seed, water that seed, watch God grow it. But I do have this sense that maybe some of you, you're, you're, you are, you're trying Christianity out like a dress. And I'm, I'm asking you today, instead of seeing does it fit you, would you let it come into you? It's not something you wear on the outside, it's something that works from the inside out. Would you let the seed, the leaven, come in? And you can do that just by saying, Lord, I receive your kingdom. I receive your king. I receive this power. And some of it is a beautiful thing because it's receiving the power of life. It's receiving the power of growth. I love it as I look back over my life and I see all these hard places, all these difficult places, and the power of the seed has always overcome the cement. And though I'm not there yet, I see a heart that's much bigger than it was when I started. I bless you this day that the kingdom is not the kingdom of this world invading your life and and please keep your eyes on this invading your life is a kingdom a domain, a realm that's not from here but from heaven it's not a king that we have elected it's a king who is king of kings and lord of lords who's been elevated to the highest position of all authority and in every generation no matter how any generation has tried to snuff out this seed, it's never been able to do it It is a tree, and the birds do make their nest in it. And we see what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.